Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today our topic is Islam in America. Joining us in the studio are Dr. Faiz Rahman of the Islamic Center of Bloomington. Faiz is also an associate professor of geography at Indiana University. And Dr. Abdul Qadir Sino, who's the associate professor of uh, in the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures and also Associate Professor of Political Science at Indiana University. Uh, we're expecting a, a third guest, a, a guest from the Islamic Society of Columbus, Indiana. She's uh, running a little late, but we expect her in, in any time. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Or your, our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can go to the website for uh, all sorts of interesting things to do. You can send us some email and uh, – uh, we occasionally have chats on there, so we'll, we hope to hear, hear from you uh, on that front as well. So welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Sure. Pleasure. Right. It's an interesting time. I mean, it's, a, it's uh, I guess, a, a time of sort of heightened uh, passions about, about things. So let's, let's just sort of launch this by talking about, you know, the Reverend Terry Jones um, and what he's been up to in Florida. I was trying to look. I looked at uh, the CNN website right before I came over today, and I don't know if uh, our news people here at WFIU have more, but he was still saying uh, he maybe called the event off, maybe hasn't called the event off of burning the Quran tomorrow. Um, if he if he calls the event off, he quits getting all this attention. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I think the but latest is that he's calling it off. He's calling it off, but he wants to meet with the uh, person yeah. who's responsible or who's uh, in charge of the the uh, Islamic right. Cultural Center in in New York near right. Ground Zero. So, Faiz, what do you make of this whole you know this the the uh, Terry Reverend Terry Jones in Florida, and of course we had some debate about the. The cultural center being built two blocks from um, nine, where Ground Zero and nine eleven. What kind of give us an overview? What do you make of it? You know, being um, with the Islam Center here in Bloomington. Well, before maybe going to the serious issue of this, I yeah. think some of this irony that I see in this whole thing. The name of the church itself is something like Dove Outreach or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, maybe that needs to be changed <laughs> after that. Um, but in terms of the whole event, I wish that he did not get as much media attention that as he got. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said also yesterday when somebody called me from Herald Times, if I look at the positive side of this whole thing, okay, so the negative side everybody's seeing, and even General Petraeus and President Obama and everybody else has mentioned that in the uh, countries where American troops are, they may be, you know, going to some problems or even some danger because of the reactions that may happen over there and so forth. But I think, especially in terms of America, I would lo- I would look at it maybe a little bit positively. Posit- positively in the sense that uh, many Americans, in fact, all of my friends that I have talked to, um, think that this guy doesn't represent them be as an American or as a Christian. But he is doing both, and he is proclaiming that he's doing it as an American and as a Christian and so forth. So I think that people start seeing that, like, the same way that a small minority fringe group who are in one or other sense extremists can claim something, but they do not represent majority of the people who are of that faith or of that nationality. Because I think a lot of times what happens is when a Muslim extremist does something, Automatically, a lot of people think that all Muslims may be on that side. Mm-hmm. So I hope that a lot of people probably will reflect on this and try to understand. So this is kind of like the <laughs> silver lining of this whole thing. Right. That's putting a positive spin on it. That's right. true. But I'm quite sure people are concerned. Uh-huh. And I, when I talk to my Muslim friends, mm-hmm. of course, I have not yet found anybody who likes it. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, dislikes it. Personally, though, I really don't mind if he does that. You don't mind? I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Like, he says whatever. I would not think just burning that uh, physical book itself really does anything. It just, I think, sh- rather shows his ignorance. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, I wish it doesn't happen. I wish mm-hmm. it didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Dr. Sino, you want to uh, respond to that? Well, it is an opportunity to reflect uh, on how extremists from an, from the other side, whatever the other side is, affect, can control our feelings and our attitudes towards broader groups of people. Indeed, I'm just building here on uh, on Faiz's point. And uh, in a sense, we can make the analogy with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda represents a tiny, minute minority among Muslims. But the reason we have this crisis in New York right now about the building of the Islamic Center is because there are enough Americans who want to associate Muslims, including Muslims in America, American Muslims, with Al-Qaeda. And so they, f- they find offense in having them being in Manhattan so close to ground zero. And so uh, this uh, Quran uh, issue uh, makes us reflect about h- how a minority's extreme can affect attitudes towards the whole entity. Now, we, we fear that the Muslim world will perceive America to be like Terry Jones. Mm-hmm. And it's a genuine fear because mm-hmm. people are susceptible to that. Uh, they're always somebody who can play on their worst instincts to say, look, they're all like this fellow. Same thing happens with us in our society where you have people playing on the worst instincts of Americans saying all Muslims are like Al-Qaeda. And we need to intellectually move ahead of that and manage our feelings and be more responsible and rational about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area, which includes Columbus. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. And we have been joined by a representative of the Islamic Society of Columbus, Indiana. Thank you very much for being here. And I'll try to pronounce your name. It was written down here for me. Allah Wafa? Yes, Allah Wafa. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for being here. Well, we, thank you. We were just talking about um, the, uh, you know, all the incidents going on, Reverend Terry Jones and, and what he's up to down in Gainesville, or what he is or isn't up to down in Gainesville, but what mm-hmm. he's gotten a lot of publicity for. Um, Faiz, and I'm using Faiz's first name because we've known each other for quite a while. We're in the same Rotary Club here in Bloomington. Um, but he um, was talking about how um, there may be a silver – if he sees a silver lining, it's that people maybe recognize that this guy doesn't represent all Americans or all Christians, just mm-hmm. like uh, extreme Muslims don't represent the Muslim community. So that was and, – and Dr. Sin- Dr. Um, Sino also has said similar things. So I wanted to get your reaction to what's been going on in Gainesville. Well, yeah, it's it's really upsetting, obviously, because when you see something that and you see something that shows that there's still a division within America um, between certain non-Muslims and Muslims, it's saddening. But at the same time, like you said, I think many people recognize that this guy is a little bit, you know, <laughs> out of the field in terms of his perspective. Um, it's sad because in the sense that, though, we still do see some Americans who think that, okay, this, what this guy is doing is fine. He should be able to burn this Quran. And, and in terms of his First Amendment rights, I completely understand that. But I feel like people seem to forget, like many people are saying now, that with that right comes a responsibility. And we are every American, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, is responsible to make sure that whatever they're doing doesn't incite anger, incite hatred or racism. And unfortunately, this I don't see any good that could come from this. And instead of burning Qurans, why don't we come together on 9-11 to commemorate what happened and to pay respect to those who lost their lives, both Muslim and non-Muslim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, akin to, to yelling fire in a crowded theater. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Doing this. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent point. That's one that's been in for, foremost in my mind throughout this whole ordeal, too, is that, you know, use your freedom of speech with, with a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. as opposed to potentially really putting people in serious physical danger. It's just, it's a shame. But I'm wondering if anybody here in the room has heard anything about kind of a counter movement. Um, as you mentioned, you know, let's come together and do something uh, quite contrary to a Quran burning. Is anybody aware of anything either locally or nationally um, being put together to kind of counter or balance this negativity? I think a lot of things, in fact, mm-hmm. starting from locally in Bloomington, um, like in the mosque, we, I got call emails from many 
religious leaders from different denominations of Christianity, from the Shalom Center, um, from others even. And local churches, I guess, this weekend will be reading from parts of Quran, like mentioned in Herald Times this morning. And uh, other than that, like our mayor has sent a supportive email or from his office has been sent and everybody else. So I think nationally also a lot of things happening in even, I think, when was it? Like yesterday or the day before yesterday, uh, religious leaders met with Eric Holder, Attorney General. And so I think the support side or people who are understanding and who are seeing the worthlessness of this whole thing are many, many more than people who are on the other fringe side of supporting this issue. Mm -hmm. So there's another thing, I guess, that is bringing up a lot of goodness, a lot of, uh, you know, sign of friendship and living in peace and harmony. Those things are bringing up, coming up much more than the hatred part of it. So. And on the more national level, I know that organizations such as the Muslim Public Affairs Council and the Islamic Society of North America are also making sure to bring together various leaders of different faiths and different backgrounds together to show a peaceful way, like I said, of remembering those who lost their lives and to show that there doesn't need to be any incitement of anger or hatred. And instead, you can do something that's productive and that brings communities together and builds bridges. Mm-hmm. I think that this is, you know, the person who is uh, quite aware of the First Amendment and being a newspaper editor. I think, you know, we, we often talk about, you know, free speech being something that it, it can be countered with free speech. And I think we're seeing the best of that. But on the other hand, you know, what you said before is, is uh, speech needs to be responsible and you shouldn't have speech to, you know, incite um, violence in any way. And so it's, it's, an, it's kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy, I guess. But, but the, the fact, as both you said, and I know we did have a story in the paper today about some of the events that are happening, or not really events per se, but just some of the reaction locally that's been very positive. Have you seen any of that in Columbus? Have you heard of any, uh, any church groups or, or religious groups? To be honest, I, I don't know much about what's going on locally in Columbus just yet. Mm-hmm. I just moved to Columbus a few weeks oh. ago. So, <laughs> But I, I do. my dad is um, one of the leaders in the community, and I do know that they've been trying to work with various faith-based groups um, to come together and to do something in commemoration of that and to just show that that's not how we want to react to something like that in Florida. Sure. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Again, our phone numbers are 855-0811-1877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, I know, uh, Faiz, you said in a guest column in our paper, it's really um, too bad that this is all happening at, at the end of Ramadan. Um, and I, I want wanted uh, you, any of you, to talk a little bit about you know, the significance of Ramadan and what that represents, what that means. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yesterday was the last day of Ramadan, and today is a holiday, just like yesterday was Rosh Hashanah for the Jews. They're always linked together in the time of year. Um, But, you know, Ramadan is a time when Muslims, they fast from sunrise to sunset, and they they abstain from both food and drink, but also from negative thoughts, from negative emotions, and they try to give back to the community and to understand what those who are less fortunate are going through. And so you see amongst Muslim communities food drives, um, going to homeless shelters, you know, activities like that to engage with the community and to give back. And uh, that's a time when you see actually Muslims more engaged than ever with the local communities and non-Muslim communities. They don't differentiate between the two. And so at a time when we're focusing on giving back, you see this, okay, you're not American enough. You're, you know, you're the enemy type of mentality. And so it is disheartening. But at the same time, I think Muslim communities are not going to stop from engaging with their local communities and trying to give back just because, you know, some guy in Florida does something <laughs> like this. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sino, what, uh, how did you – what do you think of uh, Ramadan? I mean, what, how do you uh, – you represent it? How would you represent it? Ramadan is supposed to be a time of spirituality for Muslims. It's a time when they reflect on the reality and uh, how to become better people. And they do that through action as well as through practice of belief. And uh, it's a time of calm, serenity, help, uh, coming together, coming together, etc. Um, and uh, in a sense, uh, 
this has been very threatening. Now, on the, on the other hand, uh, when you have somebody who is very extreme, doing something foolish, something uh, really uh, uh, repulsive to a lot of people, reasonable people come together mm-hmm. of all faith and of all backgrounds and of all political views come together. And perhaps that's one other advantage, you know, bringing reasonable people together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, at the same time, when you have hostility, Reasonable people want to learn, want to figure out why this is happening. And learning is always a good thing and a positive thing. And we see a trend towards that. And, and Ramadan, because it's such a unique and, uh, uh, and visible Muslim uh, expression of faith, is a good opportunity for that. Mm-hmm. All right. We have our first caller. So um, we hope that uh, Robert has a general question. We hope he wants to learn something here. So, Robert, go ahead with your question. Well, uh, yeah, uh, I haven't heard all of your show. You're talking about tolerance and the lack thereof. Uh, I, you know, uh, they want tolerance. I, this thing in New York is kind of beside the point, I think. Uh, if they want tolerance there, I'd like to know how many non-Muslim uh, religions or churches or whatever are there in, say, Saudi Arabia or something like that. Uh, secondly, this uh, Sharia or Sharia law, uh, they advocate stoning for many offenses, and that is a terrible way to die. And there's a, I don't know what percentage, but uh, I guess a rather sizable percentage of Muslims who persist uh, want to live by that law. So I'd just like to hear their comments on those things. All right. Dr. Sino? Well, Okay. When you, when people who want to keep Muslims from having houses of worship in the United States say, why don't we have Christian or Jewish houses of worship in Saudi Arabia, uh, they're making a false, fallacious argument, a wrong argument. The reason is because, number one, there are no – Saudi Arabia is practically 99.99% Muslim. Second thing is the Muslims of America have nothing to do with Saudi Arabia, its regime, its political system – the way they implement their life and understand their religion. The fact that Muslim Americans are Muslim does not make them responsible for for what the Saudis do or the Afghans or the Indonesians or anybody else. Uh, There are 1.5 billion Muslims around the world and they have different trends, different belief systems, different ways they view themselves. And Muslim Americans view themselves as Americans and Muslims. They're imbibed with American culture as well as have a certain understanding of their own faith. Second, the issue of Sharia is also a non-starter. The fact is there is no Sharia in America. There's There's American law. And no Muslim gets ruled by Sharia law in America from a judicial point of view. And no one would be stoned in America because of Sharia law. It's a non-starter. This is really, those, uh, those techniques are used to create fear of the Muslim within by those who fear the Muslim in other countries. Mm-hmm. It's just a non-starter. It's not logical. But, yeah, I'd also add to that that, yeah, sure, Saudi Arabia doesn't have any church. I come from Bangladesh. It's like whatever, 90% Muslims. But there are lots of churches, lots of Hindu temples, and many other Muslim countries that do have that. So this is really just putting this Saudi Arabia example. It's in the web a lot. It really doesn't cut. The other thing is about um, the Sharia law, right? Well, of course, in Islam, Islam comp- is composed of religion and law and way of life. One may or may not agree to some of the legal systems, like in the U.S., when somebody is put to death. A lot of Europeans do not agree to that. And people can debate about that and which law they want to leave or not, which kind of things they want to change. But I think that putting these two things, like, oh, Saudi Arabia doesn't have human rights, so we should not have human rights too. It's, I do not think, a very positive way of looking at it. You know, if we are comparing U.S. system, it should be compared maybe with the U.S. system itself or how it is supposed to be rather than saying somebody else is doing. In other places, they are doing other things. So should we do those things too? And and take, adding on to that, saying saying that the person, um, or sorry, saying that Saudi Arabia is like most Muslim countries or most Muslims agree with the system in Saudi Arabia is like saying the pastor in Florida has a mentality or a perspective that is common of most Americans in the United States, and it just doesn't make sense. I, I frequent Jordan in the Middle East sometimes. I have family there. And like I said, you're walking in the streets. It's as, if, it's as if you're in a European country, and there are Christians, and there are Jews, and there are Muslims. And you know, I've gone to Jerusalem, and same thing. There, there's churches and synagogues and mosques. And so the major, I would, I would agree. The majority of the Middle East does have all of these places of worship. And in addition to that, what benefit is going to come 
from making a parallel between Saudi Arabia and the United States. They're totally different. Many Muslim Americans, including me, don't agree with the system in Saudi Arabia. They don't let women drive, but Islam actually promotes equality amongst men and women. And so there's nothing religious-based. It's just a cultural decision and a legal decision that they made in Saudi to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and to be clear, in much of the Muslim world outside of the United States, in much of the Muslim world, a lot of people who disagree with the Saudis and how mm-hmm. they run their own affairs. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, and let's see. Mm-hmm. Let's, I'm going to follow up on what you said and just ask about you know, the difference between religion and culture because mm-hmm. I think that that's at the root of, of some misunderstanding of, of people. So could you expand on that just a little bit? Yeah, unfortunately, um, you, you see practices that are, like you said, in the Middle East, they're considered religion when really they're culture-based. And th- you realize that more when you come to the United States. I, my parents always tell me when they first came to America, it's when their beliefs were really first challenged. They took things for granted in the Middle East. They didn't really uh, ask, "Was is this Islam or is this my Arab culture? Hmm. And when they came here, when people were, you know, asking them about their faith, and they were, they initially, they had to ask themselves, okay, what is Islam? What am I practicing? And what is really part of my faith? And they actually became stronger Muslims, and they identified with their faith more so. And they, the cultural part sort of withers off, and we started adapting. Obviously, parts of the American culture, we took the best of the American culture, and we took what we appreciated from our Arab culture. And there's a fusion now um, within our communities that you'll see, but. You know, when I go back to the Middle East, people tell me, you're so Americanized. We're quite, now there's this distinction because we have adapted and we have um, created this new American Muslim culture in the United States. We need to thank Robert for his call. I think I learned a lot from that. I hope everybody else did, too. Thanks, Robert. Thank you, Robert. We have another call. Let's uh, go to uh, Wayne on the phone. Wayne, what's your question? Well, there, there are some quotations in the Quran which are extremely intolerant toward non-Muslims. So it seems to me that non-Muslims are probably justified in being alarmed, you know, when the Muslims move in. (laughs) They move into our tolerant society. May I just just give two quick examples? Very very quick, Wayne. Okay. Sarah 2, verses 190 to 193. Fight in the way of Allah and slay the unbelievers wherever you find them, and drive them out, and fight them until religion is for Allah. Now that's Sarah 2, 193. Sarah 9.5 says, quote, Fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them. Beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them, and, and use every strategy of war, unquote. Okay, Wayne, I'm going to have uh, Faiz react to that. Yeah, I think, uh, of course, those verses are in Quran. But there are also another 6,000, uh, around 400 verses in Quran, too. And taking out two verses, I could take really maybe like a few hundred verses from Bible, King James Version of Bible, and show that how intolerant Jesus was. Okay, I, I would not do that. But So this, this is possible. What the caller did, or uh, what's his name, Wayne? Wayne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, these these things, like this couple of verses here and there in Quran, that are floating around in the web. And most people t- pick up on those and just say this. Yeah, Quran also has verses that says that do not harm those who do not harm you, or making friendship with people are uh, encouraged and so forth. So, so this uh, religious text. And also to begin with, I guess, that Quran was revealed over 23 years. And a lot of these verses are also specific for the time when it was being revealed for specific causes. So without, even in the same surah that he said, number two, Mm -hmm. if he read a few verses before that and after that, he would have probably noticed what are the uh, reasons when those verses were revealed. So this, again, this thing of picking and choosing, I can even do that maybe from the, any, any, sacred text and do that. So this is one thing. Second thing is about this moving in and tolerance. This part really then probably, you know, the uh, Native Americans could have been really upset about moving in a lot of people. So I think this we have to get rid of. Just because I moved in from Bangladesh 20 years ago uh, doesn't really make me a lesser American than somebody whose grandparents moved in here Hundred years ago, so I think this part, like, and also same way that relating my action or what Saudi Arabia does to me to justify discriminating against me, at this moment, be as an immigrant American, I would not take that. Mm-hmm. Like same way, I would not want any other Americans to take that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to add on to that, too often verses are taken out of context. And what people don't realize is that, like he said, they're contextual in terms of the time of history. But if you look further, one of the most, I, I consider most special ayahs or verses of the Quran says that if you harm or kill one person, person, not Muslim or non-Muslim, excuse me, it's as if you've hurt or killed all of mankind. So any person who takes the innocent life of another, it's as if they've killed all mankind. And that's a great sin, obviously. And additionally, throughout the Quran, you'll find the same thing about how we have to treat others. And it doesn't differentiate between Muslim and non-Muslim with respect and with love. And the book repeatedly refers to Christians and Jews as people of the book. We consider them believers and within our, you know, within that faith based group. And so, unfortunately, they'll pull out these random verses and try to say that, you know, we hate non Muslims or we're trying to attack them or whatnot. But realistically, if you look further, you find that we are a big family and that's how Muslims view others. And it's sad that, unfortunately, on the web and elsewhere, these other you know verses are being pushed when that's not really what we believe. Okay, we're about to, we, we need to take a break. We're about halfway through the program. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking about uh, Islam in America. We have three guests with us, uh, Dr. Faiz Rahman from uh, Indiana University. He's with the Islamic Center of Bloomington. Dr. Uh, Abdul Qadir Sino, who's an associate professor in the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures and also of Political Science, and Alea? Alea, yes. Alea Wafa, mm-hmm. who's a member of the Islamic Society of Columbus, Indiana. We'll be right back after we take a short break. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg with the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today our topic is Islam in America. We have three guests with us uh, from Columbus. Uh, Allah Wafa is here. She's with the Islamic Society of Columbus. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Faiz Rahman is here. From He's with the Islamic Center of Bloomington and also an associate professor of geography at Indiana University. And Dr. Abdul Qadir Sino, who's associate professor in the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures and of the uh, Political Science Department as well at Indiana University. You can join us by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We do have a uh, phone call. Patient caller. A patient caller. She waited through the break. Uh, Holly is on the line. Holly, go ahead. Yes, hi. I just kind of wanted to comment, and I think I'm kind of adding on to what the gal had um, responded earlier. I'm from a bit younger demographic. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm 32. My mom actually just returned from teaching in Saudi Arabia for the past year. Um, my dad and my brother are both. Oh, we seem to have lost oh, shoot. Holly. Shoot, I was very interested in what Holly was saying. Nope. We lost Holly. Piers, we uh, it looks like we have a second call, but well, we'll try to get Holly back. Yeah, we will. We let's hope we get not Holly back, and we'll get this second call on in a minute. Um, I want to, you know, tomorrow is uh, the anniversary of nine eleven, and I know that that a lot of things changed for Muslims in America when that occurred. And I, I guess I'd like to ask, you know, how have things evolved in the nine years since that day. I know there was a lot of uh, probably fear and anger and concern early on. Has it dissipated or have things just become, you know... A new normal. Yeah, a A different normal. normal. Right. 
Dr. Sina? It, it is a complex picture. After 9-11, there was a lot of fear within the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. At the same time, however, uh, President Bush at the time basically took a stance that Muslim Americans are publicly said Muslim Americans are Americans like us and to preempt hate crimes and that helped a lot but also it motivated the Muslim Americans to get together mobilize to become a, uh, a part of American society more active they realized that their lives are here they need to be active and engage everybody else um, and they did a fairly good job with that the Iraq war caused a lot of damage because for a long time, over many years, Islam and violence have been associated on TV mm-hmm. and that created mm-hmm. some strong reactions within the public. And we see that in polls about attitudes towards Islam and Muslims where negative attitudes have increased dramatically during the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The current debate, of course, in New York is a teaching moment for all of us in a sense to reflect on all, all those issues. But at the same time, also, it does create some strong reactions and we don't know where this will go and how it will affect attitudes more broadly within the population. Mm-hmm. It depends a lot on the attitude of politicians in this election year as well. Mm-hmm. This, this whole um, mosque issue or the Islamic Center issue in New York, I, I kind of like can think of three components to this whole thing. One is there are a few people who are anti-Muslim, anti-Islam to the core like Pamela Geller, who basically started almost like single-handed this whole thing, and uh, Robert Spencer. So they basically came up with this idea of Islamic supremacist mega mosque, you know, as bad as it can be made to sound. And then Fox News and others picked up on that. And then I guess also the ignorance, what Abdul Qadir was mentioning, a lot of ignorance out there, and in this time of uncertainty about job market, about other things, this thing when somebody's, oh, you know what, they are taking over. Russians mm-hmm. are coming kind of thing. You know? so, so they're taking over and that ignorance. And then I guess really, I'm really sad and sorry about what the, some of the politicians have done. I would just name maybe even a couple of names. Sure. Newt Gingrich, Sarah Palin, Rick Lazio from New York. They thought this is a good opportunity rather than talking about how if they win, how they are going to change the job scenario. So for last one month and a half almost, nobody's talking about those issues. So it's like they took it as a political issue for next elections. Mm-hmm. And these three things, I think, made it hopefully, well, made it worse. And hopefully after the election, these things will probably calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I hope to get the answers from both of you. But we have Holly back on the air and then we have a few other callers. So, Holly, go ahead. We're sorry we lost you. That's okay. Thanks. Just a comment that I, I think kind of echoes what you all are saying is that I think that people suffer from a fear of what they don't know. And I think if people have these questions and concerns, when you dig a little bit deeper and actually look at what the Quran says and what the Islamic faith really represents, it's a few people who are taking it out of context that make it what, you know, people become afraid of. But you can in turn do that in Christianity. If you take a a piece of scripture out of context without looking at the whole story, it looks a lot different than it really is. And so I just, my hope would be that through people listening to programs like this, they would learn from it, and through that, they would be more educated and not responding in fear, but responding in love and just inquiring more. Um, so I really appreciate the fact that you guys are willing to put that out there, because I think there are a lot of people that just have real misconceptions because of what the media has put out there and because of what some of the politicians um, have put out to use as pos- their possible strategies to win, win an election. So thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, Holly, thank you. Faiz? Yeah, I, I really would take an opportunity here and say that if people are in Bloomington listening to this and they would like to stop by the Islamic Center, it's open almost always. We have five times daily prayers, Friday afternoon, around 2 o'clock, we do our prayers. And uh, currently I'm the president of the Islamic Center, and maybe just, you know, is an official uh, kind of like invitation. Anybody want to come and stop by and talk to us or make friends? It's always open. So there's nothing uh, secret going on. And <laughs> I would hope that people do stop by and ask. Uh, in confirmation to, 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 uh, to the caller, uh, what she said, in, in our studies of attitudes towards Muslims, we find that those who have the most hostile attitudes are people who have never met a Muslim before or who know nothing or very little about Islam. And it shows indeed that it is ignorance that leads to bigotry or hatred. And it applies to all sides, to Muslims who don't want to know others as well, right? But we all would benefit and society would benefit by learning more. And I really hope people would take advantage of Faiz's invitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. We have Arthur on the phone. Arthur? Arthur? 
Yeah, we have we have a new system here. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we'll uh, get. Yeah, is Arthur on there? Arthur. Hello. Hey, Arthur. Go ahead. Hey, I, I'm uh, Chris. Actually. Oh, Chris. All right, Chris. You're up next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris, you, thank you. I in the dark and said hello, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for putting together this uh, wonderful panel. Sure, thank um, you. Uh, just one question for you all. Uh, if you... Oh, golly, now we've lost Chris. We've lost Chris. Cell phones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, these new systems. Chris, please Progress. call back. Right. Looks like everybody's using new iPhones. That's <laughs> lost. <laughs> right. All right. We'll get the technology together uh, here in a minute. So I wanted to, I, I think we hadn't heard from you two about just mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the, I guess the atmosphere in the Muslim world in the last nine years and how it's changed and how it's maybe progressed either positively or negatively? Dr. Sino? Uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, after 9-11, uh, there, was, it, it, there was considerable sympathy in some parts and considerable denial in some other parts about responsibility and all that. Uh, when uh, U.S. troops went into Iraq, it created a considerable antagonism towards the United States mm-hmm. and the Muslim world. <coughs> Many believe that this was unfair. It wasn't warranted. And then some of the practices like the Abu Ghraib uh, mm-hmm. uh, pra- uh, abuse of the prisoners and also in Bagram in Afghanistan led to more resentment. When President Obama was elected, it created hope that this may be the beginning of a new era. And so uh, there was less hostility uh, involved. Now, it's a globalized world. Everything we do here resonates everywhere. And already what Mr. Jones did in Florida, in Gainesville, uh, is resonating widely and creating resentment. Already one Afghan died protesting against the planned or possible burning of the Korans in Florida by NATO fire. He was killed by NATO fire. And can you imagine the meaning and symbolism of that within Afghanistan, where NATO and the United States are trying to fight an insur- a, a rising insurgency? Yeah. Hmm. And on a more personal note, I guess, growing up here and re- seeing the shift, like before 9-11, you know, it was, it was confusing growing up because you're trying to fuse these different identities together. But it wasn't difficult. I didn't find I wasn't ever scared of, you know, racism or anything like that growing up. I grew up in southern Indiana. Um, but then 9-11, I, I'll never forget it because I was sitting in my class when this all happened. And all of a sudden, someone came in the classroom and said, the Twin Towers are going down. Palestinians did it. Uh, And then the whole class looked at me because my family is of Palestinian background. And then they all looked at me as if I was responsible. And I was like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. And so, you know, from there, immediately I felt a shift towards people's perspectives. But at the same time, I had a core group of friends that, you know, never questioned. They knew me. And people who knew me, like, like they were saying, when you know a Muslim, you know who they are and you know that they're not violent people <laughs> generally right. speaking um, and then so onward from that you know you, you would find people that were that held racist perspectives towards you and then there were those who were very welcoming and loving towards you and then the, like um, the professor was saying there was a shift and it got better for a while but then uh, especially in the past year or so it's gotten a lot more difficult um I, I worked in D.C. for a couple of years and in the Senate, and I, I never felt any problem at all. And I, in fact, like I felt extremely proud as a Muslim American, you know, to be there to represent my country, America. But now it's I walk in the streets. You see people making negative comments. The other day, someone heard one of my friends speaking Arabic in the street and then just yelled at them. She was wearing a scarf like me. Mm-hmm. And she told her, uh, or the woman told the lady, you're in America, speak English. And she angrily walked away. And, you know, would, would she have said that to a German American who was speaking German with a family member? I don't think so. So unfortunately, there is hostility right now. There is racism. And a lot of people are feeling that same fear that they felt after 9-11. And I'm just hoping that there can be a more a faster reaction where communities quickly back, come back together interfaith groups to counter that that uh, racism right now mm-hmm. along those lines we've um, had somebody who's uh, on the web asked uh, they say they live in Columbus close to the Islamic Center mm-hmm. and they want to know how a non-muslim like them can get involved 
Oh, great. Well, I mean, we just opened the new mosque recently, actually. It's been a little less than a month, and I'm sure we're going to be having an open house soon. But, uh, you know, coming to the mosque on Friday, we can talk to the person, and we're hoping to start. The Muslim community for, has been there for about 10 years, and they've done community efforts, community service, um, Habitat for Humanity, things like that. And that's something that we're always engaging in in Columbus. And so we can come together, and, and if she's from a certain organization, we can bring those organizations together. And all she has to do is contact us. I think there, there should be, they recently put up a website, I believe. So she can feel free to call the mosque anytime, and hopefully we can work together. Okay, we're going to go back to the uh, phones, and we hope that our technology is working. <laughs> better. Um, I'm not really sure which caller is next. Chris. Chris, Chris are you Hi. back? I'm here. Okay, Yay! go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go we ahead. triumphed over technology. <laughs> We're going to get it right. Yep. Um, so my question to the panelists is uh, if you personally were given the opportunity to stop or cancel uh, this plan Quran burning, would you do it? And, and why or why not? Faiz, you want to tra- take that? If you had the opportunity to stop the guy from burning the Koran in Florida, would you do it? Why or why not? If I had the opportunity to stop him by force? No, <laughs> <not right. Yeah. laughs> well, you know what? As I said, personally, I don't mind. If he go- goes ahead and burns it, personally, I don't mind. It's his uh, right. He can do that. I, of course, hope that he does not, just because that it doesn't bring anything good. Mm-hmm. And after all this kind of publicity... I even don't know. Now, even if he stops, what does it do? So yeah. I think mm-hmm. he got his. Uh, personally, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. If he goes and does it. Dr. Simon? Well, uh, w- I guess I'm going to answer as, a, as a, an American Muslim. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, uh, I am an American. I believe in freedom of speech unhindered uh, and f- freedom of expression unhindered. Uh, as a Muslim, it hurts me that he does that. Uh, but I recognize his, his right to hurt me by expressing himself. Mm-hmm. I recognize his right to do so. Uh, he's not responsible. Uh, I, if I could stop him, had the power to stop him without infringing on our constitutional rights as Americans, I would do it just to save lives around the world. Uh, because I think already when we have people injured and killed in protests, that's already a loss to humanity. When we have increased conflict in Afghanistan or Iraq or elsewhere, that is to the loss of life of Americans and others, I think it's a big loss for humanity as well. Mm-hmm. And to add on to that, yeah, I mean, I'm an attorney. I just finished law school. And so obviously I understand the First Amendment rights, and he does have the right to do something like that. But as a Muslim American, and as I think as an American, I would say, I would hope that he wouldn't. And if I could engage with him and discuss it with him and have him change his mind, absolutely I would, because I don't think it really represents the American values. And it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for anyone. It's not, and it reflects negatively across the world about who we are as Americans. And unfortunately, with media outlets focusing so much on this little thing, you may have people across the world thinking, oh, many Americans think this way. So we live in a global world, and we have to be careful what happens. Yeah. And that's what exactly this 18-year-old who was interviewed by CNN in Indonesia said, that, oh, I don't believe it's just small church. I believe all Americans are like that. I believe President Obama is like that. But you know what? I'd also add something to that. What Muslims are doing in some of these countries protesting this, I do not support it either personally. I think that's uh, a very ignorant way of protesting anything. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's this what this guy is doing. What's the name again? Terry Jones? Terry Jones. Yeah. Reverend. Reverend. Well, Reverend. That's also an irony. They're Reverend. Right, right. But anyway, uh, the, so what he's doing is quite ignorant, but also a lot of Muslims all over the world, unfortunately, at this moment, are very ignorant of how they react to things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for coming back to us. All right. We're going to go back to the phones. And, Dan, who do I have next? All right. Do we have somebody on here? Can you – all right. Can you give me your name? I don't know. Is this Nadif? Yeah. Go right ahead. Okay. I just wanted to comment on the fact that book burning, whether Quran or non, is happening here in America. And we have to remember the words of Henrik Heinz, a poet and a journalist, a writer in Germany who lived in the early part of 19th century, who said, where books are burned, in the end, people will burn. And that's exactly what happened in Germany. 
that Hitler burned lots of books and huge numbers of human beings. This is what makes this act very, very ominous. And we as Americans, while respecting our rights, constitutional rights to do things, but certain acts can be very dangerous and very ominous. And there are Americans, unfortunately, who are also sympathizing with what Terry Jones is attempting to do. Right. Well, Tyus. first, yeah, he, uh, I don't know. I'd probably disagree on one thing, though. Uh, if it was whoever, President Bush or President Obama seizing all the Korans and burning, I'd probably then think about the similarity between that and Hitler's act. So, again... It's he is not maybe he's buying those copies right I would guess he's probably not going and taking it from people and burning if he was doing that that would have been really I would be really against it mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's the act of burning book right right that's, uh, that's the issue right right but again I would think as much as I hold Quran as a Muslim dear to my heart and I would not even think of dropping this from somewhere but to him that book doesn't mean anything. So if he's burning that, I would not be comparing that with right. the, you know, like if power of a nation was seizing books and burning those. So mm-hmm. that's just my way of looking at it. Okay. Uh, there is wisdom in what Nazif said, uh, but also on the same, at the same time, every culture, every country has its fanatics and people who will do ludicrous mm-hmm. things and harmful things to others. Now, we're lucky. I have faith in the American system. I have faith in our government and our people in the sense that we have ways to manage that in a smart way. We, President Obama himself spoke to what, his, to what uh, the reverend was trying to do. Uh, you know, and uh, we... In, in that is a condemnation uh, of the ethics behind that behavior. So luckily, we have a government, we have a system that self-regulates in a way that brings good and fairness and equity to society. And luckily, that's much better than what they had in Germany at the time of Hitler. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we're going to go uh, back to the phones. And it uh, looks like we have John next. John? Yes. Hello. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. This is an issue that's really important to me personally because, uh, well, on both sides of the spectrum, I have some interest here. First of all, I have friends in Afghanistan and Iraq, and I've, I've been in Afghanistan myself. And uh, I have tremendous respect for the people and anyone who's devoutly religious enough, especially to, uh, to devote themselves five times a day. However, um, I do find some uh, hypocrisy here in, uh, in the Muslims in this country demanding this and this and this. And, uh, and and setting up this Muslim center so close to Ground Zero, where on earth, if at any place, does it say in the Quran to respect the interests of others, or where does it say uh, the Golden Rule? Because surely, uh, they, I'm sure they would not appreciate it if um, if a white supremacist group were to locate next to. Uh, an area where their people had been slaughtered at any time. I think that it's so insensitive for those who want to put this uh, center so close to the worst attack on our homeland that was orchestrated by Muslims. Um, I, I think it's, it's absolutely uh, stupid and uh, hypocritical for them to push forward with this. I don't care what they say their rights are or anything like that. Beyond the rights and what you can argue with the Constitution and so forth, um, it, it's, it's hypocritical. It's counter to any uh, assertion of a peaceful religion uh, to insist on this. John, and, and let, me, let, me, let, let me cut you off here and get a reaction from yeah. our panel. Faiz? You know, uh, I think I'll just also go maybe to the extreme just to say that probably all of these churches all across the country are very hypocritical to the Native Americans. Is it in that? It would be okay. So this is another thing. So that it's not. It's not really that church too close or whatever. So how far it should be? Is it like five kilometers? Some sort of a halal distance? I don't know. Like <laughs> halal means something kosher. So anyway, I just do not know. This. This. I think this question is absurd. In fact, that uh, Muslim Americans setting up a mosque so close to Ground Zero. You know what? There is a mosque closer to Ground Zero. There is also a strip club, even closer to Ground Zero. So. 
I, I just do not know this validity of this question, that why somebody, yeah, those 19 hijackers have been Muslim. They do not represent me at all. So why am I, as a, an American Muslim, cannot do what you know, my rights are? If there is something illegal, of course there is a court system in this country. Let people go to court. Let decide. If those people are doing something shady, let them find out. Mm-hmm. But, about 5 to 10% of New York is Muslim. This is, there's a community that has worship needs. They need houses of worship. Okay? And, they, and the, they're not related in any way, shape, or form to al-Qaeda or perpetrators, perpetrators of violence on Americans or American interests. And so, as such, we should also respect the, the right to have a house of worship. If it happens to be closed, well, there already is one that's closed and it wasn't an issue. Um, and so, the, underlying all this is an assumption that all Muslims in the world, in the world bear responsibility, each one bears responsibility for whatever another Muslim does. It's not correct. There's 1.5 billion Muslims. Just like an American does not bear responsibility for what the soldiers in Abu Ghraib did. You know, uh, all Americans don't. See, and, and they shouldn't be blamed for it. And so disaggregate in, you, in your mind, my dear caller, uh, the responsibility of people just because they have a religion in common. You see, uh, those people are a community that need to worship. That's it. Uh, they have nothing to do with those who attacked the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow. And I'd like to add that, I mean, this, this question of the, the mosque, the quote-unquote ground zero mosque, um, it's it's a difficult question because th- there are two sides to it. You know, first, when they were planning this, according to Imam Rauf, when he made his um, national address a couple days ago, he said, I didn't realize this reaction would come out. I didn't realize that I would offend so many Americans. We would be offending so many Americans. Um, but at the same time, he he was saying that now if I just pick up and leave, these these notions, this underlying belief that all Muslims are responsible um, will just be furthered. And so there has to be some kind of joint effort to find a solution. You know, we've run out of time, and I really apologize because <laughs> we have thank a lot you. we could talk about here. But I want to thank uh, all three of our guests for being here, Dr. Faiz Rahman, Rahman uh, Dr. Abdul Qadir Sino, and Allah <laughs> Wolf. Wafa from Columbus. I'm sorry. That's okay. I I didn't get to meet you before the program. Thank you all for being here. I I also want to thank Dan Goldblatt for uh, being our producer today, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, and for our engineer, Mike Peshkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.